What a beautiful name. Jesus came 2,000 years ago and lived among men and women like us. For many, he was a beautiful name. There were women that followed him, women that followed him from Galilee to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, known women, uh, like Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, she had been healed of spiritual and, and mental torment. She followed Jesus. And then there was Joanna, the wife of Shuza, Herod, King Herod's manager, and Mary, the mother of James, and there were other women following Jesus. They went to Jerusalem, and on the Friday of that Passover week, Jesus, he was crucified, and as he was hanging on the cross, he cried out, Father, to your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And the women, they stood there watching at a distance. Luke writes, And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home, beating their their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Joseph of Arimathea, he he was a good man. He was looking for the kingdom of God, and so he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. He went to the cross, took the body down off the cross, carried the body of Jesus to a tomb where no one had been laid. It was a a tomb cut in the, the limestone hills surrounding Jerusalem. That tomb probably had a rectangular opening and the more luxurious tombs, they had stones rolled in front of them. And so the Gospel of Mark says that there was a very large stone covering the entrance to the tomb. Sabbath was about to begin. Luke writes, The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So they had seen the body laid in the tomb. They went home to the place where they were staying, and they prepared spices and ointments. They they wanted to give their friend, their teacher, an, an honorable burial. And on the Sabbath, being Jewish women, they, they rested. I wonder what they pondered. They probably mourned. They probably were grieving the death of Jesus, wondering, well, what kind of song do we sing now? Luke writes, but, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. It's still deep dawn, they can, they can hardly see, but they want to care for their teacher. They want to give him an honorable burial, not expecting anything. Luke continues, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't expect to find the stone rolled away, much less did they expect to, to not find the body of Jesus in that tomb. I imagine they were going to sing, oh, 
What a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. He was among us like a friend. He, he loved each one of us. He talked to us. He healed us. What a beautiful name. But we went to Jerusalem and they mistreated him and they flogged him and they crucified him and he's dead and oh, how we miss him. But what happened to the body of Jesus? Luke writes, well, they were perplexed about this. They're bewildered. They're at, they're at a loss. Unexpectedly, two men appear. He writes, Luke, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, they're just frightened. They're overwhelmed. Two men in the tomb in dazzling apparel, they're, they're awestruck. But the men have come with a message. Luke writes, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Jesus had told his followers multiple times that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would be mistreated, that he would die, but they just had not been able to grasp that. You just had not understood. And the angels say, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. It could be translated, it was necessary. So what was necessary? Why did Jesus have to die? What had God planned? Why was it necessary that Jesus die? Well, from the Father's perspective, it wasn't enough that Jesus come and live among us. From God's perspective, Jesus had to die to take care of sin and its consequences. Jesus, the perfect son, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the son of God, dying in our place, taking our sin, our guilt, our shame, all of it upon himself, dying as our substitute. You see, God didn't want us to stand before him alone, standing on our own righteousness. Jesus paid the price we could never pay. You see, from God's perspective, Jesus had to die because he knew the things that would make for peace between God and man. Our sins paid for. Jesus' righteousness credited to us. And so if we have placed our trust in Jesus, if we have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, then when we stand before God, we stand in the righteousness of Jesus, our sins forgiven. From God's perspective, Jesus had to die so that he could rise again, the firstborn from the dead, the first to rise to resurrected life. And so if we have entrusted ourselves to Jesus, then Jesus is the guarantee that we too will rise to resurrected life. We have received the gift of eternal life. You see, Jesus didn't come just to rec rescue some bad people. He came to make the spiritually dead alive. He had to die. And so the angels ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? 
And the women, they remember, they recall the words, and as they run to the other disciples, insights come. A new song begins to be written. They've witnessed his life. They've experienced healing. They saw him die on a cross. They saw him laid in a tomb, and now the tomb is empty. Luke writes, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But but these words seemed an idle tale and they did not believe them. The women come with this message, but for for the disciples, it's just an idle tale. That word means nonsense. The delirious words of some crazy people. The the disciples, they just sat there in unbelief. For them, the last stanza of the Jesus song had been written. Their dreams shattered. Everything that they hoped for, gone. Is it an idle tale for you today? Do you sit in unbelief? Luke continues, but Peter... But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter, he he left amazed, wondering, processing, what happened? But Peter ran to the tomb. He stooped. It means that he bent over and he looked in, trying to understand. And so if you sit there as a skeptic today, I encourage you just to stoop in and look. The word means to bend over to look so you can learn. Empty tomb. Empty tomb is a historical fact. Throughout the centuries, accepted by almost all, In the 20th century, some people began to cast doubt on the empty tomb. But all serious scholarship takes the empty tomb to be a historical fact. Christians and those from other religious persuasions, atheists, on that Sunday, the tomb was empty. All four Gospels narrate the story of the empty tomb. And you might ask, well, are those Gospels reliable? If you have studied philosophy like I did, then you will have read Plato, Aristotle. For the writings of Plato, we have seven ancient manuscripts. And the first is dated to 1,200 years after Plato. For Aristotle, we have seven times more. We have 49 ancient manuscripts. And the first of those is dated to 1,400 years after Plato. Sorry, after Aristotle. Now compare that to the New Testament. For the New Testament writings, we have 5,843 ancient manuscripts in the original Greek language. And the earliest of those Fragments is from just a few decades after the original writing. And then add to that 19,000 ancient manuscripts in other languages, early translations of the Gospels 
into other languages. And you have over 25,000 documents to work with, and the accuracy is over 99%. And so if you don't accept the New Testament document, then you need to throw out all of ancient history. There's absolutely no comparison. So if you were to stack up the writings of Plato and Aristotle, the pile comes about this high. But if you were to pile up the ancient fragments and documents that, that, that provide support to the New Testament, then the pile goes through the roof. And also interesting that women were the first witnesses. We're in the 21st century, and so we accept the testimony of men and women as equal. But for Jewish men, for Roman men, the testimony of women was not credible. It was not deemed worthy in a a court. And so if you were to fabricate the story then you certainly wouldn't put in all four Gospels as the first witnesses, women. Rings authentic. There are some that say, no, no, Jesus, he didn't actually die. He hung on a cross, yes, but he fainted. It's called the swoon theory. And so according to the theory, Jesus fainted, and then he was placed in a tomb, and even though he had been flogged and crucified, somehow he revived in the coolness of the cave and then gathered strength and was able to remove that very large stone and walk away. Well, if you know anything about a Roman flogging, if you have studied crucifixion, if you remember that his side was pierced and that water and blood gushed out, then you know that Jesus died a very slow, painful death. He died of asphyxiation. And the American Medical Association that has studied this in detail confirms that Jesus did in fact die. There's no way that he fainted. Peter stooped in and looked. So if you sit in doubt, I would encourage you, go investigate. There's much more. Check it out. And it'll change your song. But you know, it wasn't the empty tomb that changed the song of the disciples. It wasn't the fact of the tomb being empty that prepared them to die for the message. What it was was the resurrection appearances of Jesus to his first disciples. On one occasion, more than 500 met Jesus. Jesus appeared multiple times. They touched him. (laughs) They ate with him. They had long conversations with him, like the one that we read of in Luke. Jesus was in Jerusalem with the disciples, and they, Jesus showed them his, his hands, his feet. Luke writes, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So Jesus doesn't leave us just with a historical fact, with an empty tomb. He reveals himself to us. If we stoop in and look and open our hearts and minds to the Jesus that lived, died, and rose again 2,000 years ago, he reveals himself to us. He enters our story. 
Jesus hadn't risen on that day, that Easter Sunday, we might be having a memorial service here. We might be singing a funeral song. But Easter destroyed that possibility, and the fact is that Jesus appeared to his first disciples, and through the centuries he has continued to reveal himself to thousands and thousands of people from every continent, from every nation, people of every language, every tribe, every race, men, women, children, and he witnesses to us, to you, to me. Not just a beautiful name powerful name. And so we join together and we confess Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Join me. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And so we sing around the globe because we know that our Redeemer lives. Let's worship. Let's sing. Amen.